Welcome to another episode of Afterlife Mysteries with me, Kalila Smith, and my co-host, Billy Roberts. Welcome, Billy. Hi, Kalila. How are you? There you are. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Yeah. Good to see you again, as always. Yeah. Nice to see you again. So, we are going to be talking about subtle anatomy of a medium, specifically, and all the little nuances that go along with that. So it gets quite complicated, and it's actually quite fascinating, though, to understand the inner workings. We talked before about the psychology of the medium, and there's yeah. really a lot of things um, on that energetic level that's going on that, that really have an effect on what we're seeing, hearing, feeling, and so forth. And it doesn't just go for mediums, though. You know, even people who are what we would call sensitives or, you know, mildly psychic, these are all subtle energies in the universe that we all can feel, see, hear if we just kind of quiet our minds. Right, Billy? Exactly. And, I mean, most people will accept the fact that we have an aura or chakras but they don't realize we have a subtle anatomy we are quite uh, well multi-dimensional as we've said before and the subtle anatomy covers a pretty broad spectrum it's our invisible uh, personality if you like um, and it, it extends uh, a fair distance out into the surrounding space but i thought we'd cover this because there's a great deal of nonsense spoken about chakras and the aura, <clears throat> what the aura is and what it isn't. And the aura is a vaporous mass of electromagnetic particles that surrounds every living thing. Even a table has an aura to some greater or lesser degree. A dead person has an aura. Um, it consists of the, the energies holding the molecules and cells together. Now, the aura of a chair, I mean, we've all had the experience of uh, being engrossed in conversation with somebody uh, on the street. And we've talked to them at length about personal things and about what they've been up to. And before we know what we are, you know, the, the sun is going down and your eyes become tired. But out of the peripheral vision, you might see a, a sort of a surrounding glow or shadow around that person's head. When you look directly at it, it disappears. Now that glow or shadow is the what's commonly known as the health aura, if you can see it in its entirety. But it's the, the, um, the pranic aura. It's the amount of prana in that person. And it tells you a great deal about them. It, it probably extends about an inch, two inches from the body. And it means a great deal. If you look down the person's body, you can see that it's dark in places. Now, if you make a, a detailed study of it, you'll find that those dark places seem to have problems. For example, if you've got hip problems, knee problems, around that area, it will grow, it will be dark. But the aura is far more than a vaporous mass. It does extend right into space. And... I think we've discussed we might be in a queue, in a theater queue, waiting for our friend to come. And we suddenly become conscious of a, an uncomfortable feeling behind and it makes us turn around to see what, what it is. 
and there's somebody looking intently at the back of your head. You didn't know that, but your aura extended. It's a protective in, uh, medium, if you like. It protects you from the environment in which you live. Um, and mediums work with this because the dis disembodied souls, they infiltrate the aura to communicate with the medium. Uh, we'll discuss all this as the, the night goes on, as the, the program goes on. So what's your theory? Oh, I agree totally. And I mean, I, I studied for a great deal when I was studying um, naturopathic healing, you know, about the you know subtle energetics of the body and of plants. Um, you know, we had homework assignments to go and feel the energy emanating off of the trees and you know you can actually feel you know you feel something you can actually feel this this subtle body that's around us um when i was studying tai chi and martial arts and so forth and asian healing you know we would make what they call chi balls and mm -hmm. you could get the energy you'd work the energy up and you could actually feel it and it was quite spongy it had like a spongy texture yeah. to it but you could actually feel it and then you would actually could you could move that and, and send it to someone for healing. So I'm, I'm pretty familiar with it, but there is a lot of misinformation out there. I mean, people don't realize that there's there's several uh, bodies that we have. We have the aura, we've got the astral body. We've got the, you know, is the, I don't know if the, is the astral body the same as the etheric body? Um, yeah. Because I know there's several layers to yeah. this, but it actually, I think in total, like is like 17 feet that, that goes out around us. Well, there are, there are different bodies. Each body, if you understand, is made of a, a particular substance. And each body is composed of a finer material than the one below it. And each body is subdivided into seven. So you are a multidimensional being. And you're able, whilst you live in this physical world, to traverse from one dimension to another, either in meditation or when you sleep. Now, in scientific, scientific parlance, the aura is referred to as human bioluminescence because it's often seen around deep sea aquatic creatures, this glow around fish. Oh, wow. It's a sort of a, a, to let you know that they're there or you, you keep away from them. And it's a database. So the aura can tell a person not only about things pertaining to their life at the moment, their health, emotions, everything about them. It also can tell somebody who's uh, that way inclined, like a, a medium, yourself, myself, it can tell about their future prospects, what they intend to do. Now, people, cynics would say, well, no, that's not possible, but it is. The only thing is the person who, who actually owns the aura or the bioluminescence can change the, the polarity of their life they can alter the direction that they're supposed to go in. But karma or, or the, the predestined um, part of their life means that they will eventually have to go through what was laid down for them in the future. Right. Now, the chakras are different. I mean, I, I've, I studied yoga in, in the late 60s and 70s. And, and chakras are, are equated to many transformers they control the energy coming into the body they modify it they control it they transmute it 
and they transmit it to other people. Now, chakras are, when a child is born, although it has the seven major chakras potentially, only one will function. And that's the chakra at the base of the spine, which is called Muladhara. This is the one at the coccyx. And it's the instinctive chakra that allows the child to feel hungry, to cry for its mother. And it lives in an instinctive environment in that one chakra. And every year of the child's existence, another chakra begins to open. They're like many flowers. And as the child grows, the flowers ascend the spine and they unfurl, they open, they vibrate at a different frequency. So when the child is two, the next chakra begins to manifest and it's called Svadhisthana, which roughly translated means the gate. So the child at the age of two is quite a, an unusual being because all the creative tendencies, as you know yourself, all the creative tendencies, all the personality it's going to have in the future, at the age of two, you can see it as a mother or as a father. And then when the child is three, that's an unusual age. The third chakra begins to open, becomes active. And this is called Manipura. And this is in the sun center. It's in the nervous system. So a lot goes on in the child's life. It will test its environment. It will test its parents. And you, you might find that you've got either a little devil or a little angel on your hand in the nicest possible way. And then the fourth year, the next chakra begins to open, which is quite important. It's called Anahata. This is the goddess within the individual. This is the heart center. It's the one which gives all the emotion. It shows that the child is capable of love and thrives on love. But more importantly, if anything goes on around that child, any disharmonies, any arguments between mom and dad, anything at all, it's recorded in Anahata, and it will never be lost. It will always be there. It will make wow. that child what it is. So it's an important chakra. Mm -hmm. The next chakras, one in the throat, is called Vashuddha. And this is connected to the, um, the thyroid gland and the auditory faculties. So anybody who has a propensity towards hearing disembodied sounds, such as yourself, me, often have a very active Vishuddha chakra. And then we move up to the one between the brows, which is the traditional third eye. It's called Ajna. And this is the one responsible for clairvoyance, the one that's responsible for intuition. You get a good policeman who's good at his job, often functions in this chakra, is very good at what he does. And, and will concentrate and, and focus. It helps you to focus. It also helps you to achieve. The final chakra is the, the one that makes me laugh because most people say, oh, we can see the crown chakra in you, but it's dormant in the majority of people at this stage of our evolution. It's only noticed or seen in people who devote their lives to prayer, meditation, monks who live in isolation. It's called Sahasrara, and it's to do with God consciousness. And the thing about 
monks, you know, the traditional monks, they used to have the tonsure, the shaven head. That was to expose that chakra in that place of light. So God's energy could descend and infiltrate the aura. Now the chakras are all, when the child is seven years old, the child is what is known as in full light. It has a beautiful uh, look to the aura and the chakras are all balanced. But then mum and dad play a part. They start to intervene and chastise the child. They dress the child up in the colors they think it looks good in. And they make it do exactly what they want. So they program it. And these chakras change polarity. And this is why later on in our lives, we have to consider our own reprogramming, our own development, which is not easy, particularly if you're mediumistically inclined. Sorry for going on a little bit, but no, no, this is this is what we this is what we're talking about today. This is it. <laughs> this is fabulous, and and you have so much knowledge about it. Um, it's it is this is not the kind of thing, guys, that you just you know you read a book and you know this. I mean, this is years and years and years of studying. Um, it's also of applying it to my own life. I mean, I'm not just speaking verbatim from books and things. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. You've, you've lived people it. People I've met and also applying it to my own life. But the, the chakras are connected to the endocrine glands and nerve plexuses through an extensive system of channels called nadis. Now, most people know what a meridian is, but very few will know what a nadi is. Now, a meridian is equated with the, the trunk of a tree, and the nadi is the branch of the tree. So the body is permeated with thousands of nadis transporting energy around to the different organs of the body. So you are an electric powerhouse, if you like. And when you're mediumistically inclined, that power you've got, you, you are responsible for, and it transmits to other people and will affect other people. People you come into contact with will be affected either in a good way or in an adverse way. So you have to be responsible for the energy you've got. So give me your opinions. <laughs> no, I agree. I, I agree with all of this. Um, you know, what I'm wondering, though, is, you know, there's a lot of people like, you know, I've studied, like I said, this, you know, you know, healing and so forth. And we're talking many, many years ago that I studied this. And then back in the day, you know, they used to do chakra balancing. Mm -hmm. um, and what I was taught is, is that if it's moving clockwise, it's open. If it's moving counterclockwise or sometimes not even moving at all, that it means it's blocked up. Is, is there any truth to that? I mean, that's, no. that's what I was taught, that well, you use the pendulum to see which direction the chakra is moving in. Um, I don't know if that was just some, you know. Well, I've, I've Americanized been... fluff that I learned, or if that's actually true, because partly it's partly true. The the in a male, the one between the brows is clockwise. In a female, it's anti-clockwise. In the male, the throat is anti-clockwise. In a female, it's clockwise, and so on and so forth. And after the end of a day's work, these go up in different directions usually not permanently, but you can actually um, use a pendulum to, to determine 
which ones are, are rotating in the wrong way. A chakra can never be blocked. And bear in mind, this is my opinion. Obviously, people are going to disagree with me, but it's my opinion through the experience as I've had and things I've done over, over the last 40 years. But the chakras, are, they become vivified, coruscating whirlpools of vibration and color when you develop. And you might have a, a feeling that you want to be a clairvoyant, but you mightn't have the propensity, you mightn't have the ability. You can only go with which chakra uh, becomes amplified and which chakra becomes active after your meditation. And you can meditate on, on chakras. I use, and I've always used, um, uh, bija mantras. A bija mantra is a, a, a word that cor corresponds with the chakra, and it also will give you a release of the energy in that chakra. You have to be very careful because some, some occult practitioners or esoteric masters, they believe that when the chakras close down or become inactive, we have physical spontaneous combustion. That's the reason the body will ignite, burn up. Uh, not recommended. Don't try this at home. I wouldn't but, want to try that. I don't, want to, I, don't, I don't want to do that. But there's another way. I, I find it. See, it's fascinating. There was a, a, a good friend of mine. His name is Ivor James. He was a psychic artist, world-renowned. And um, he, he did a workshop. And on the workshop, he showed me, if you take two pips or seeds from an apple, uh, the dark pips as opposed to white, and put them on a piece of paper um, pretty close to each other, you'll see that they radiate a, a very faint glow, like a, a, a luminosity, a, a white glow, and it will move in a clockwise manner. Or, or it might be a shadow around the, the pips. If you put those pips away for a few hours in an envelope and then take them out later, put them on a piece of paper again, you'll find that glow is no longer there. It's, it's diminished. It's not as vibrant. And that actually represents a sick person or somebody who's dying. But if you take fresh pips and place them by the old pips, say about half an inch, quarter of an inch close to them, you'll see a very unusual phenomenon. You'll see both pips, the dead ones, and the vibrant ones, you'll see the energy reaching out wow. to, to each other in an effort to revitalize them. And this is what people do who have a lot of energy in their bodies. When we're in their presence, we feel invigorated because they have a lot of pranic energy. And we go away feeling full of, full of beans, in fact, full of their beans. Uh, that person who's given you the energy will feel depleted, but they go home and they have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and a biscuit, and they're revitalized again because that's the way they're made. They have a lot of pranic energy in their bodies. And that's the, the nature of healing. Fascinating, isn't it? It is. It, it is. And, you know, the way I was taught, I didn't really study the 
Ayurvedic healing so much as I studied the Chinese healing. And, you know, in the, in the Chinese tradition, you're, they say that your, you know, your chi is held like, you know, in the belly, in the belly, like around the navel. You've got this, you know, in the Japanese call it the hara. And that is where the chi is stored. And supposedly you have a certain amount of chi that you're born with. And that's what you've got. And some people yeah. have more than others. But you can build up certain amounts of chi, but your initial chi that you're born with is pretty much what you're born with. Now, I don't know if that's the same. Is that the same in Ayurvedic when you're talking about it's, the prana? It's exactly the same. Okay. I mean, in Hinduism, the, the name prana is given to designate all energy in the universe. A prana comes from the sunlight. So if you sit in the sun, and you're not feeling too well. We all know how the sunshine makes us feel. But you can also precipitate it in your body by using breathing techniques, something called pranayama, which simply means the control of prana. Now, although you need a, a, a qualified teacher to teach the process of pranayama, there are little exercises that you can do that will help to revitalize the body um, simple exercises such as um, ascertain your normal heartbeat by placing your fingers on your pulse and counting with, with the pulse up to six. One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six. And then with your eyes closed, you inhale very slowly a complete breath, counting six pulse units. You hold it for three. You breathe out for six, you hold it for three, in for six, hold it for three, so on and so forth. Now, if you incorporate some visualization with that, so when you breathe in, you give the breath a color, a, a positive color, such as white or pink even, because prana tends to be pink when it's close to the body. And then when you exhale, give it a negative color, such as brown or black or gray to get rid of all the toxins in the body. And if you do that for probably about 10 minutes, you'll feel the benefit from it. You'll feel invigorated. And you'll also feel as though you're ready to take on any task that's presented to you. So that's, that's a simple way of revitalizing the body, particularly if, if you're in pain as well. Because you can actually direct the prana to the, um, the inflammation the part of your body that's inflamed, just by breathing into your fingertips. You mentioned uh, chi is stored around the navel. Mm -hmm. In yoga, it's called the sun center, and it's mm -hmm. all there. And if you hold your fingers on your, your navel, you breathe in, watch the breath coming in, down into your fingertips, hold it, hold your breath, and then transfer your fingertips to the part of the body that's infected and breathe out through your fingertips, you'll find that will also invigorate and ease pain as well. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Now, the auric field, you know, the the entire auric field, it's, it's very interesting, and I think this is particularly, people have to understand this with mediums. I mean, this is where you come in with, is somebody talking to a deceased loved one, or is somebody just reading what's in the auric field because the auric field has all of this information and a really exactly. good psychic can just tune right in and and feel and see and 
and gather this information from what's stored in the auric field, but they're not necessarily doing mediumship. Exactly. It's a totally different process. And I think maybe we should talk about that a little bit for those people who are budding mediums out here, because there's a lot of people, and I see it all the time, not to criticize anybody, but I see it all the time. And, you know, we all go to, you know, what you call platforms, we call galleries, we go to these things with different mediums and stuff. And you can actually tell when somebody's reading that auric field and they're coming up with things, but they're not really, and, and unfortunately, a lot of budding mediums are taught how to do this and never really break that habit of, of moving on to that next level and actually doing real mediumship. Um, ha, have you had that in your experience where you've seen people do that and oh, also yeah. start teaching people to read that way? Yeah. And, and they're not really all they're really doing, because if I go to say I come to, you know, a, a platform where you're working and another medium's working and I've got my mind set on a specific, specific person that I want to hear from and I'm thinking about them all day. All of that information is going to be in my auric field and you may pick up on that. Yeah, exactly. Or, 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 or a psychic may pick up on that, but they're not necessarily communicating with that individual. Exactly. Now, how would one know the difference? How would you think one would, how would you explain to someone how to know the difference for the sitter and for the medium? You know, how do you know when you're in that power? You know, how do, how are they supposed to know when they're in that power? And how does that sitter know that they're not just picking up on their auric field? Does that make sense? Because I yeah. can see it and I know you can detect it yeah. when it's happening and you're like, wait, wait, whoa, this is, this is just reading the auric field. Uh, the, the thing, the problem I've got, uh, I'm very skeptical. Um, I'm very cynical as well. Uh, I have become over the years. But I always say that you can only judge the, the, the content of a message, the quality of a message by the content. A medium's job is to prove the continuity of the soul beyond death by giving detailed information about the individual. Now, if you're going to talk about people who uh, in the person's aura, it's easy because there's a feeling that you get when you, you you'll know yourself when you're giving messages to somebody. When it's a, a, a spiritual message, when it comes from the spirit world, there's a rush, I call, call it the adrenaline rush, where you feel this rush through your body and you know, and somebody can say to you, no, that wasn't a good message, but you know, you know when it was good. You know when it was from the spirit world by the feeling that was passed over to you. People wrongly assume that um, clear audience, for example, that it's always a voice, you know, a, a, an audible voice. It isn't. Sometimes it can be a stream of extraneous thoughts, thoughts that rush into your head that you know are not your own thoughts. Mm -hmm. that, could be very ambiguous about people who are dead, just names and details about the, the way they died. Try not, initially, when you're developing your mediumistic skills, try not to dismiss anything that comes because mediumship changes with the passage of time. It doesn't stay the way it is initially. It will always change. Sometimes you can have uh, clear or a clear audience uh, process, but as though somebody's standing by your, your head, 
somebody's talking to you audibly. Now, I get this when I'm working. Um, it's as though the person is actually there. Sometimes, I have to admit, it's very ambiguous. But that's the fault of me, the fault of the medium. And sometimes the, the, the communicator doesn't really know the process or understand the process of communication. So you have to help them to, to understand what's going on. The aura is a conduit for communication. It will extend. If you imagine a healthy, well-balanced aura, it's like the, the bristles, the bristles of a, a new brush, straight. But when it's worn and doesn't work properly, the bristles are all, they, they, they lose their, uh, their strength and vitality. So you have to be really strong. You have to be revitalized when you communicate with the spirit world. It's a very difficult thing to do if you're just giving names of people. I, I used to know a medium who would give a lot of names, just first, first names, Joan, John. It'd all be accepted, unusual names, depending if she was working in a different country or a different town. But she gave very little with it, no evidence with it. But because the way she gave the, the messages, People used to really um, respect her and feel as though they had some value for their money. And I used to listen to this woman. She's now deceased. And I couldn't see anything in her messages. And the first time I worked with her was in Leeds Town Hall, which was like two and a half thousand people. We're going back to 1984, I think it was. And um, she had a huge following. And then later on, when I got to know her, I could see where she was coming from. And although a skeptic would say, no, no, there's nothing there, I could see that she was actually getting fragments of information from the spirit world. She was mediumistic. It's just that she didn't put a lot of effort into it. And you know yourself, you need to put a lot of effort into your, the way you work. So I think you've got to just prepare yourself for the way you work and prepare for all eventualities because you can be taken off guard. Sometimes the spirit world can just rush in spontaneously and give you some information. And you think, where, where did that come from? So it does change and it can change quite rapidly as well. That's all I can say about that, to be honest. Right. Well, no, it's it's important. I think people need to understand the difference, though. I really do. I think they need to really, you know, understand when somebody's reading this or when somebody's reading that. But, yeah, you can definitely have things, information, though, in your or your art field oh, yeah. that are going to be misleading and could be about somebody. But it's going to be, I, I don't know, it's going to be less personal, I think. Well, so, psychometry is a prime example, isn't it? Right, because yes, exactly. We touch we touch thousands of objects during the course of our day, but we only have a superficial encounter with the things that we touch. But we can be in an old building going up the stairs, running your hand on the banister, mm -hmm. and thoughts will come into your head. You know, what's that? But you don't realize it's from the banister. All the different people have touched it. And when somebody gives you an article, 
I don't know that you do psychometry. Yes, yes. It's a, not all the time, but I've, I've, I've done it enough. It's an ideal way of developing your uh, clairvoyance or your other gifts. If you just hold an article in both, use bo both hands and as many fingers as possible in the exercise and just spend some time um, examining the article itself. I've, not, I've seen some mediums checking for uh, signatures, engravings on the ring or something, or and checking for any clues. That's not the way it works. No. <laughs> you know, don't you? Psychometry used to be called vibraturgy. Um, my wife and I are um, uh, Rosicrucians. And in Rosicrucian, um, Rosicrucian order and their teachings, they call it vibraturgy, which that's what it used to be called. And it's all to do with vibration on an article, um, which is interesting. I and mean, people can try it at home just by asking a friend to give them a ring or a, a piece of jewelry. And it's interesting. It's a party piece as well for a lot of mediums or clairvoyance. You know yourself, if you go somewhere for, for a, a gathering and somebody knows you're a medium, they'll come up to you and you'll say, they'll either say, what do you get from me? Or right, right. what do you get from this? <laughs> and they'll give you an item of jewelry. And you think, oh, not a lot. Right. No. Well, it's going to be very limited on, on what what information is there. It's not. And, and to me, that's the biggest thing. It's anything you get that's not going to be true spirit is going to have its limitations on there. You're going to get a little bit of information. But, you know, to me, spirit is limitless. So if you're really connected into spirit and they're really reading, listening to what spirit or, or seeing what spirit is telling them, it's going yeah. to be limitless. And a flood of information is going to start coming in as opposed to little bits and pieces, yeah. almost like little sound bites that you might get off of an object or something. Yeah. And it can be deceiving too. I think, you know, with anybody, and, and this would be my advice to, you know, our budding mediums out there, is the thin line between what you're reading with someone else, you gotta be really, really careful and really trained. That's why I'm, I'm a big advocate of going to all kind of therapy and, and inner child work and all of this, uh, you know, what they would call alternative um, psychotherapy kind of things to just really train yourself to where when you are reading, you're reading somebody else's stuff and not interjecting your own. Because exactly. that's another thing that can get yeah. in there and kind of muddy the waters is when you start projecting and interjecting your own thoughts or your own grief or whatever, and you start letting that get in the way. And then before you know it, you're reading yourself. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, and it, it's happened. I've seen it happen to where people are, you know, before you know it, they're saying something and it's like, no, I think you're, that's coming from inside of you mm. rather than from, from spirit, Yeah, you know, and, and I, I notice it more and more and I don't know how it is. I, I know it's real different there, but I know here it's like mediums are being churned out like, you know, like like in mass production. I mean, it's like oh, cookie yeah. cutters, you know, they got these cookie cutter mediums and they're all mediums yeah. coming out. And, you know, a week later they're channeling, <laughs> they're channeling, yeah. which isn't mediumship. Yeah. Um, you know, and what do you think about that? Because that's something I've really noticed uh, with a lot of people lately is, is the channeling thing. And they're all saying it's coming from uh, an ascended master. I mean, what, what do you, from your experience, what are your thoughts? It's like, how do you know this is coming from an ascendant master 
and yeah, it's yeah. not just coming from yourself. I don't think there's is there any way to prove that? Because oh, I, I've seen some claim I've seen some claims that really kind of blew my mind. I saw one, I won't name names, but I saw one that really shocked me was that the guy was claiming that Jesus Christ is coming to him, but not just coming to him as a medium, coming through an electronic device and telling him things. And it's like, does he really have to come through an electronic? I mean, it's like, <laughs> really? How do you know it's him? He had Jesus Christ and Elvis coming through electronic devices. And I'm like, oh, wow. You know, um, uh, you know, you got a lot of that. And then you see somebody in a development class, like one week, you know, they'll take a little weekend class. And the next thing you know, they're channeling some high ascended master. And it's like, how do you know? Why? How do you know that this is going on? You know what I'm talking about? Have yeah, you yeah, exactly. Know well, these so, people that say they're channeling this higher source? Yeah. Well, so just going off the set, there was a medium uh, on the TV, Liverpool medium. I won't mention his name. Not that I can only remember his Christian name anyway. And uh, he was on a, an American program. And um, they asked him, who was he channeling? And he said, John Lennon. And they said, well, how do we know this? Well, what's he actually saying to us? And he said, give peace a chance. That was it. <laughs> and, uh, wow, needless, okay. <laughs> needless to say, he was pulled to pieces. Uh, well, in yeah, the I mean, yeah, really? It's like, wow, what, a, what an enlightened thing well, for you. You know, he's done he comes this all the way from the other time. side, and he's that's what he's got to say. He said that in what year on a, on a, on a record? I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I'm talking about. It's like, you know, people, um, there's, and I won't, like, again, I won't name names. It doesn't take, it's not hard to go and re-research this stuff. But if you go to YouTube, you'll see a lot of it. Oh, there's yeah. one person in particular, and he doesn't even claim to be a medium. I think he's using like an, like a ghost box or something, and he's talking to all of these people, and as soon as they die, he's having a conversation. It's like, you know, <laughs> I, I want to clarify that if somebody's coming through to you, there's got to be some sort of connection. I mean, the sitter that's there, this loved one wants to talk to this yeah. person. It's that love. It's that, that connection, that history they had with somebody. Um, you know, for instance, I didn't know Robin Williams. Never met him, didn't know him. I'm not on his radar. Why would he be talking to me? Exactly. What what would be the connection? Why would why would John Lennon be talking to me? I mean, they, they didn't there was nothing there to connect us to these people. There's got to be some kind of connection for there to be that desire to want to communicate. You know, it's it's just like when they're here that you're not going to all of a sudden you know, pick up the phone and it's John Lennon calling you to have a conversation with you because he doesn't know you. Well, I can claim that. I, I, that's my claim to fame. I knew the Beatles. Uh, that's right. Now, if John Lennon picks up the phone and talks to you, I'll believe it because you grew up with the guy. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a big difference. And Yoko. Yoko right. contacted me. But well, you know that's what I'm saying. Yes, if if you if you tell me you heard from the Beatles, I'll, you know it's like, well, okay, <laughs> there's a connection there. <laughs> well, it, uh, about um, 1996, I think it was, Multimedia, the company, commissioned me to do a series of videos. Billy Roberts investigates the paranormal, and one of the videos they wanted was channeling. Funny enough, and it was in its innovative stages. You know, there weren't a lot of people doing it. It was called transmediumship. And I had, um, I can't decry them because 
you know, they put their, their head on the chopping block. And I had two guys. One was called Alan Webb, and the other was Les Driver. And um, Alan Webb had a huge following after it. Because when, when the video came out, we went down um, Oxford Street in London, and the shop Virgin and his HMV, they all had big multiple screens showing all my videos. And one of them that became very popular, the one was um, the one with the channeling. They wanted to know how they could contact these people. And it set a craze. He had a huge following, Alan Webb. And he, the guy that came, he was channeling, I can't remember his name, but he was an African uh, king or something. Uh, but you couldn't prove it. But it was the, the philosophy he gave, which people caught on to, which was more important. It was the way he projected it, presented himself. Uh, it wasn't so much the information he gave. It was the philosophical background. The people stood in awe. The other guy um, was a bit more difficult because, and he won't mind me saying, because uh, I did it at the time. He, um, he had a, a a Londoner, a 1930s Londoner, who was a runner for a, a you know, a runner is for gambling. He used to oh. bet on horses, and because it was illegal in this country, he used to stand on the corner and take your bet, a very trusting. And if you won, you go on the same corner and they give you your money, the money that you won. Well, he he was going on about um, the jockeys of the day and his. It was funny, I said to him, well, who was the famous jockey? Oh, I don't know. And he, he didn't have a clue about the, the jockeys running at the time. Of course, that's acceptable. But some years later, some years after that, the video was placed on a, a guy called Bob Mills. He's a comedian, but he used to um, pull to pieces different videos, famous people that he'd have. And he had this video on um, of the, the, the guy with the runner, and apparently I didn't know this, but one of the uh, one of the race courses he frequented was a dog racing uh, circuit. It wasn't a horse circuit at all. And this Bob Mills, the comedian, said it didn't have horses; it was for dogs only. <laughs> so you have, if you're going to do this kind of stuff, you've got to do the background. You've got to check that you got all the facts right. And, <laughs> But you, you've got to love. I've had some funny times with, with different mediums uh, who claim to be channeling famous people like Elvis Presley um, and even people who hadn't died. They were channeling because they thought the person was dead. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. It's yeah. like, wow, how are you doing that? Yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot of people that who only say they're channeling uh, a, a higher deity, a higher deity. Um, you know, I, I've, I've met a lot of people who claim they're channeling, you know, Orange Feather, and he's a Native American, and it's like, okay, well, yeah. you, you, you're not even part of that culture. Why is this Native American? What? Where's this? Where does it come from? You know, where is this coming from? Where? And how do you know that that's what you're channeling? Because you know, you and I are working right now on a book about. Yeah. You know, earthbound entities and, and entities that are here. And one of the things, you know, I don't know if you've had a chance to read some of those new chapters I added, but it was like yeah. one of the things that I'm really dead set on is the fact that 
you can think you're talking to one thing. Anybody can talk to the dead, but not everybody's doing mediumship or channeling. You know, and these spirits are very deceptive and they will present themselves as what you want them to be. But you're not at all talking to, you're just talking to some discarnate dead that never really evolved, yeah. you know. And, and, and that's another thing that I find particularly weird and a little disturbing and unnerving because I get people all the time who are saying, you know, well, I'm talking to this, this spirit and the spirit's telling me this and the spirit's telling me this and mm -hmm. it's here to comfort me. And it's like, who is it? Oh, well, this is a person that died 200 years. Well, how do you, why, why would this person be coming to you? They don't know you. Why exactly. would you, where, where's the connection here? And, oh, well, you know, I've been to the grave a lot. And, okay, you, you, I think you're talking to something else that want, that is allowing you to believe that that's what you're talking to. And I think that happens with a lot of these people who are channeling because they come up with this stuff and there's no validity to it. And there's no way to really prove what's what they're saying. And it's, it's like you don't really know what, who or what you're, you're working yeah. with. I mean... You know, it, I think, I don't know, how would we, I guess that'll be for another show. We're going to have to, because we're running out of time now, but we're going to have to talk about that on another show. How to protect yourself from falling in that trap of thinking you're talking to a loved one or thinking you're talking to a higher energy. And in fact, you're talking to, you know, some vagabond of the spirit world that's just yeah, exactly. pulling well, your it, leg the, the whole time. Is, it seems to be, it's popular now for people to have, Indian spirit guides. Now, I'm guilty of that. I've had, since I was a kid, I used to see this uh, North American plainsman. Uh, I call him Torpine. Um, I never mention him or rarely do. He's in my book, a drawing of him. But I believe now that these guides, spirit guides, are facets of our own personality. If you accept the doctrine of reincarnation, then I believe that we've been through the process of being different personalities. Okay. And, and that's another that's topic of conversation that we can so talk we, about. We're going to have to say, folks, to be continued yeah. <laughs> because we could go on and on about this, and we should, and, and we'll have to continue this in another show. So, um, well, Billy, <laughs> how, how do people get in touch with you these days? Um, through Twitter, well, right? You've got a Twitter. I'm, I've got a Twitter account. It's uh, uh, at the Seaman. Seaman, S W E R M A N. Seaman on Twitter. That's but I'll be back I'll, these days. I will be back on Facebook. The the playing silly persons with me, but I'll be back. Well, I'm going to help Twitter. you with that. I'm going to help you with that. We're going to get you a new Facebook thing. We're going to get yeah, you okay. in there so right. that you can be back on <laughs> Facebook. But right now, Seerman on Twitter. If you want to contact Billy, oh my email. Does, what's that? His email. Yeah. Okay. Billy yeah. Robert at sky.com yeah that's billy another roberts. way yeah billy roberts at sky.com that's another way guys because billy does yeah. do readings um not just in the uk but he also does readings um do you do readings for people through email or how do you do yeah, readings well, do. I'm I'm on the telephone or handwriting and i'm 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 on i'm on facebook guys kalila one you can always friend me and um you know, I'll do readings on Skype and Zoom and all that good stuff. <laughs> but anyway, uh, 
So we are definitely going to get get together again next week, Billy, and we will continue on with talking about this stuff because this is the one thing that people don't talk about enough. And exactly. you've got all of this stuff out there and all of these new mediums coming out. And I see people who, sitters going to the same medium over and over and over again, and they yeah. keep going to these things. And it's like, wait, you're not noticing that you're really, you're getting the same message over and over again. And I think exactly. people are getting into this, you know, I think people just need to be educated more. That's what I'd like to see us do is maybe educate people more on what it is and what it could be rather than what you're believing it is and how to know yeah. the difference. And I, I think that's really important because I think that as mediums, we're representing spirit. We should always be teaching people on well, how unscrupulous... to really get what they're going to get out of a reading. Exactly. The unscrupulous clairvoyant develops something called retrospective memory. In other words, they can remember things they know they remember about you as an individual. So when they're giving you messages that they've given you probably a thousand times before, they can recall things they've already told you, and you won't remember. Well, we're going to talk about that some more, too. But for okay. now, we're going to get going. We've told you how to get in touch with us. Uh, Billy and I are working on a couple of different books right now. Uh, yep. One about those vagabonds of the spirit world, which is actually quite frightening. Got some frightening stuff that we're writing about. Yeah. And we're also writing some magical books. So at some point yeah. now, we're going to talk about a little magic on this show, too, because everybody can use a little magic in their lives. So thank you all for checking in with us again for another episode of Afterlife Mysteries. Yeah, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Yeah. Have a wonderful night, guys. You too.